The most underrated team is the Jaguars. Okay. They got to the final eight last year, and nobody seems to acknowledge that they are on the brisk, a brink, on the brink, excuse me, I was going to say precipice and brink, and it came out brisk. (laughs) (laughs) They're on the brink of potentially being very good, and they're in a division that, relatively speaking, is not as strong as the others in the AFC South. They're in the AFC South, and that one is weaker. So I think they're ridiculously underrated for what they can do. And the team that's most overrated, and I know you're baiting me, and I know you're going to be <laughs> mad at me, but I still don't know why everybody's on the Lions. You're listening to the Pine Room Podcast, the home of sports, gambling, entertainment, and whatever the hell else has gone on this week. So pull up a seat by the fire, crack open a cold one, and make sure to get your bets in. Welcome to the Pine Room. This episode is sponsored by our good friends at IC Cab. Whether you're in the Ohio Valley, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Columbus, Morgantown, or Charleston, you've seen the cars around. IC Cab provides a simple transportation service for all your transportation needs, be it a ride to the Pittsburgh airport, because we all know it's cheaper than parking, corporate transportation, courier services, or just a ride home from the local bar. IC Cab is your way to roll. To book your next ride, call 304 232 1313. Or schedule a future ride at iccab.com slash contact. Then all you got to do is fill out some info and boom, you got a ride coming your way. Oh, all right, that's me. Give him a call. Tell the Pine Room sent you. All right, hello everyone and welcome into the Pine Room Podcast, episode 74. We're here in the studio in a different setup. I'm sitting over on the love seat, uh, but myself, Coach, Matt, and Jarrett, we're just here to give a little bit of a preview of what uh, you're about to watch. We were pleased to be joined in the studio by uh, NBC Sports's football pro football talk, Mike Florio. He came down after his book signing. His book uh, is on the table. You can see it right in front of here. Father of mine. You can go. You can go purchase it hardcover or ebook on Amazon right now. Uh, but these guys got to sit down and talk with him. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, we just wanted to preface what we're going to get into and what you're going to what you're going to see here. So yeah, yeah, it was good. It was awesome. Uh, appreciate Coach uh, making the connection through uh, some of your yeah good, good buddies that, that that were friends with Mike their entire lives. And uh, we had him on the radio show one time uh, a while back. And uh, actually, he was right before the NFL draft, so we talked to him about that. And then he was nice enough to come after his book signing over at the library for Father of Mine. Uh, they had a great crowd over there, and uh, he came over and spent about an hour and 15, 20 minutes. He probably would have went a little longer, but we didn't want to overdo it, and uh, we appreciate him spending the time with us. It was awesome, really insightful, and uh, really fun. Yeah, like I said on the radio today, and I've said it uh, to my buddies before, he genuinely is one of the smartest, if not the smartest person I've ever talked to in my life. Besides Champ. Well, yeah. Besides, besides, champ. Come on, you. Yeah. He, well, okay. No, you, yeah, didn't, you, don't you, even, you didn't even have to say there. that. Okay. But no, just just how much he knows about each division, each team, each player, and then outside of NFL, what he knows about 
wheeling and, and uh, the mob scene and everything that, that went with that. Just really, really cool. I could have sat there. I didn't even I didn't even have a mic on and I was running the uh, the computer just to uh, make sure everything was good. And I, I could have literally sat there for the whole day and listened to what he had to say. Uh, just just an amazing amazing guy. I'd, I appreciate him coming because he didn't. He really didn't have to do that. And no. And right now, actually, we've had some clips up uh, on our social media. When you hear this, you'll probably all be up by now. Uh, you will. You'll you'll be able to hear the whole thing. Obviously, if you're listening to this. Uh, but we've had a really good response to the video so far. We <laughs> we've had a lot of uh, angry Lions fans uh, yelling at us uh, on TikTok, and uh, but it's been really cool. People, people dis. I didn't realize people dislike him. Like people don't. People don't. Well, who like was that him. saying? That was that soup that was telling us that the barstool guys beat on him all the time. Yeah, I guess they. They just. I think. Hey, I think soup said they. They. Um, what is the word? They make memes out of him or something. Yeah, but they. They. They meaningfully I think disagree. They, they, yeah, with they him just disagree. Just, with to, him. Oh, oh, just to just to provoke him, like to, not provoke him, but to get him. To respond to their di- to what they're saying, so I don't think it's like necessarily means. Well, that might be actually a sign of respect. To be yeah, honest, yeah, it could be. Oh, definitely coming from those guys. But I mean, like people, like we put these TikToks out of just clips of what Mike was saying, and like people just just every like every comment, if it's not positive, well, obviously, if it's not talking about whatever he's talking about in a, in agreement with that, it's just. And I'd say probably one of every ten comments is positive, <laughs> most of which is just negative. Like he's they don't agree with him, and he's like he doesn't know what he's talking but like you about. Said, you can disagree. Yeah, that's it's like just because he's di- saying something that you like, just because I like, let's say I like the lions right. and you hate the lions, right. just because you say something about the Lions doesn't mean you're wrong no. about them. And time will tell which one of us is right. Yeah. And yes. Coach can attest to this. When we're in here doing better's last stand, we don't always agree. Right. But yeah. the show would be boring if that was the case. Yeah. yeah. And you would, it would never, it would just, it would serve no purpose. Yeah, and if, just because he said something wrong like that, that didn't turn out, like I think there was a one comment about him, something about Jordan Love. About What was that? Uh, I was talking I about... I can't remember what it well, I mean, was. He said he, he said Jordan Love might be okay, but he didn't yeah. say what, he was great or that he was terrible. Yeah, yeah. and people were pissed because they he said that the Packers will win the division, uh, I mean, which is an interesting which take. Yeah. That division's wide open. We talked. I think me, oh, yeah. Chris, and Coach. We all had different winners in that yeah, division. And, and every like he, saying saying they got saying he's an he's saying he's an idiot for well, see that's just well yeah. see but but. Unintelligent people try to right. critique guys as intelligent as Mike. That yeah. that's what happens. That's the best they can do is yeah. to just try to trounce him and, yeah. and knock him down. Yeah. But he's not going to care. Yeah. And about here's that. the thing: he doesn't care. And I don't even know him. Like I have, I before he came here, I had no idea right. who he was. I would have never known who he was until. So, like to me. The only reason people get all worked up is because they know he's he's got a platform where he and that's that's it. Like if it was just sure, still the man. Yeah, he's a great guy though. I he he seemed like he he seemed like he really enjoyed. Like yeah, I bet you can tell sometimes when people are yes, obviously obviously like Jared said, he didn't need to do any of that. He did not need to come in here and talk to us. He was way he's way above us status wise. So he definitely didn't need to be it. But I bet you could tell sometimes with people in his kind of profile when they're talking to people that are below them 
they they don't care. But he seemed like yeah. he genuinely. I mean, he seemed like he yeah. was just on our our level and just relaxed. And uh, coach, you can you can speak to yeah, this a little yeah. bit. Just just regular guy, like just fun. Yeah, fit in really well with yeah, us. Yeah, he did. And he was uh, thanks to Jimmy Payne and Terry and uh, Rick. Uh, who who grew up as uh, very very good friends, if not best friends, with uh, Mike Florio uh, when they were young, and uh, they've kept a, a very close relationship. Now, obviously, with Florio being so busy, and those guys all work too, so they're busy. And uh, but they go go down one uh, one time a year to his house in Bridgeport, West Virginia, and they say it's just a just like coming to the Pine Room. Just they yeah. sit around, smoke cigars, watch football, talk. Uh, well, actually, it's not football season, so they're probably watching baseball or just watching anything and just talking and having fun, and he's a great guy, and they sort of hooked us up with him, and um, I pursued it. But honestly, I, I would be sitting at home uh, several nights, and I would just get a random text from Florio saying, uh, hey, I'm coming up to the um, uh, to the, my book signing. Uh, how about if I stop over to your studio and yeah. uh, we shoot the shit for an hour? It wasn't like I begged him and – drove him because i really wanted to stay away from bothering him and uh he he reached out to me and said hey i'll stop over to the studio and you know uh shoot the shit for an hour and uh, you know we'll just talk and do whatever you want to do and that's exactly how it played out and he keeps kept in contact with me and then as as i was waiting for him uh at the uh library he texted me right at the end he said hey what's going on and next thing you know i've jumped in his car and Drove up here, we BS'd a while, and you got, and then the rest is, you know, yeah. you got history. Yeah, you got some. He was the, to hear it. I think yeah. it's kind of, it just speaks from the where the area. Yeah, We're so, all from the area. Yeah. Raised the same type of way. Um, just genuinely, you know, decent people in our, in our area around here, and he he's one of them. And yeah. no matter how big he is, he remembered Wheeling was important to him. And uh, I'm sure there's a little soft spot in his heart a little bit for sure. people like us trying to make it um, in, in, in the world of media uh, these days. And he's obviously done an incredible job, and his knowledge is just so uh, just vast. And uh, yeah, I think I feel like he enjoyed his time with us. We we, we didn't want to overdo it again, but we got some great. Great stuff, as Jarrett mentioned. Uh, I think people will really enjoy some stuff that I wasn't even aware of, um, in insight wise. And you know, it, it's just the, the way that he's plugged in and some of the stories. And I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but just like some of the contacts he has, obviously that's uh, that's part of being yeah. in that industry. But uh, yeah, he's just he's 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 an incredible wealth of knowledge for NFL. And I'd recommend anybody who doesn't um, listen to him regularly to start tuning into pro football talk or at least watch those clips that him and chris sims give out every single day and you're, you're going to feel like you know a lot more about the nfl yeah and i and i i only have watched maybe a minute and a half of him on his show and that's just because i don't like sports but uh uh, what you uh, what who what's the movie what you see oh uh planes trains and automobiles what <laughs> yeah. you see is what you get like he's yeah. a it, it, to me he didn't trans like it transferred right yeah. to here he didn't it's like change. the same guy that's so cool, like yeah. i know people are gonna if people watch this you're gonna there's gonna be some stuff that he says that everybody's not gonna agree with but he's he's just like another one of guys he's not trying he's just another one of us but like when you have when you understand that you need to respect guys like this, this guy got where he is, where he is now because yeah. of his well, his wealth of knowledge, his hard work, and it just he just gives you another take on on NFL football. And honestly, he could talk. I feel like we could have talked to him oh, about yeah. a lot of different subject matters. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be very well versed in it. But it just he gives you not the the typical. You're going to hear this on every channel thing, and that's what's so refreshing about him to me. Before we even actually talked to him or met him. 
Uh, I always respected that about him is that he gives you a different take. And yeah, you might not agree. Like he opened my eyes. I ended up taking Justin Fields in a fantasy draft the other night. I don't like the guy at all. But Mike said he thinks he's going to be really good statistically in fantasy. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to roll the dice and get to go with the expert on this. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I agreed, but I'm I'm willing to take his <laughs> professional opinion and say he's going to know more than I know. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that he's always going to be right and I'm always going to be wrong, but right. you've got to respect a guy like that. And for him to come sit down in here with a bunch of nobodies like us and treat us like equals it was really great. Yeah. Yeah. Really Couldn't neat. thank him enough for and that. And then the, uh, the other thing um, – was the the neat thing too is guys my age or, or anybody that will listen to this show or heard him speak guys my age who remember the days of when his dad's bar was down across from sportsman's and i used to go to the club 17 and i remember butch florio i remember him coming into the club 17 i remember going down that way and going into those bars and and making bets and then i was running spot sheets for butch manillo at club 17 and doing all the things that they were doing because I was I was you know into gambling then is there too. A, is there a statute of limitations on that like they no gonna... he already said it he said it down at the when he was speaking he said the statute of limitations yeah. all run out, run out. That. yeah right. so yeah so guys my age can relate to those days of growing up where you just walk into a bar and you place a bet you write it on a on a sheet of paper and you give it to them and you come in Tuesday or Wednesday and settle up and you do it again the next week, and all, everything, nothing was on a computer. Nothing was, you know, obviously. <laughs> That'd be quick to electronic. burn it if you get raided. Yeah. 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 So it was, up on the chalkboard. Yeah. Well, a lot of stuff was on a chalkboard. Oh, yeah. It was all, all your it. stuff was on a chalkboard. Yeah. And That's all your bets, all your bets were done on a little, um, on a on a piece of paper that had carbon copy yep. on it. So yep. you gave him the bookie one, and you kept one. And, and, and you know what was bad, Matt, back in the day? I don't know if you even knew this. The juice back there, back uh, in the day, was six to five. Yeah, yeah, yeah six to I, five, one to eleven, one to eleven ten. We still get people coming into our shop and say that, like, it was I unbelievable. Can't believe you guys actually six give to, us a fair and, chance. To like, six to five, and here's the other one on ties the, lose on the totals. Okay, yeah. a, to, a total if a total if a total um, uh, was was thirty thirty eight. Say it was thirty eight flat. Yeah, thirty eight flat. Um, it obviously you, know, you got what well, you, they, the book got the three point spread. You had to, <laughs> if it was 37 yeah, or 39, it. it was a push. push. Yeah. And then you had to, you had to get a point over the, uh, the, the, the spread to hit the over under. They had a three point cushion and a six to five juice. I mean, how can anybody ever win? It was unbelievable. That's, wait. So if you wait with the total, so. Run that again. If Run you that had a, if you had thirty eight, if you had thirty eight, you had to get over thirty nine. Yeah. To, so if you had to go over, oh, you had to get over. So you basically had to get thirty nine was a push. Oh, so, so thirty nine okay. was a push. You had to get forty. They had they had three point. They had a point on oh each side. Gosh. And if it if it hit on thirty eight, it it was a loser, right? It was a loser. Yeah, yeah. Because oh guys rate guys bitch about that still. And it was unbelievable. Like, yeah, ties lose with my bookie downtown. Like it was well, terrible. That's why you come it, here. And then the juice was six to five. So. It wasn't eleven to ten. It's basically, it was 12, twelve to ten. Twelve to ten. Yeah. So, so you're, you're basically giving, leaving one twenty minus one twenty. I always see minus yeah, one, yeah. one ten. Most of your basis is going to be minus one twenty. So you're laying twelve. Oh, wow. Incredible. Yeah. Back in the day, and, that, and those wow. were those were, but they were good old days, man. They were they were fun. I think when they got all got busted, that sort of was one of the downfalls of wheeling because man, yeah. it was everybody would go in a bar Saturday mornings. We'd go down to Butch's and make our bets. I'd run sheets for him during the week, take him to college and 
all my buddies and like it's two bucks and he would give me like a 20 cents off of each sheet or something and it was really really neat but anyway that's i think florio has a little you know soft spot in his heart for that stuff that went on here and he was part of it and he saw a lot of he saw a lot of things and heard a lot of things. I'm not sure he saw, but heard a lot of things. Yeah, about. like he alluded to, just coming across the people that later he oh, realized, yeah. like, oh, yeah. this guy's may, might be that the was, enforcer. It was great. <laughs> he he, that, that he made this guy sitting next to him. He might have murdered <laughs> two people last night. Yeah. Well, yeah, you'll let's not bore you any longer, and we can get right into the details of what we're talking about or what these guys are talking about. Thank you to Mike Florio. It means a heck of a lot for him to come here, and it means a heck of a lot to us for him to come and do that for us and talk to us. This so, is really cool. This uh, is a great watch. Enjoy this. Let us know what you think, and uh, go go let Mike know that the, you, you, you listen to him on the Pine Room. And so, get his book. Yeah. yeah. Buy his book. Yeah. Father of mine. Get on Amazon, yeah, ebook or uh, paperback. Grab so. some popcorn and a Diet enjoy. Coke. Enjoy. Without further sit ado. Sit back and enjoy. Mike Florio on the Pine Room Podcast. You're listening to the Pine Room Podcast, but you don't just have to listen to the podcast. We have some other stuff out there, too, like Better's Last Stand, our sports betting show covering all things sports and betting, or Soup and Stuff, where Soup sits down with business owners, athletes, and other professionals for good conversation. Or, if you want to listen to us live, you can tune into The Watchdog, FM 98.1 or AM 1600. Or you can listen live online at thewatchdognetwork.com. You're listening to the Pine Room Podcast. All right, welcome in to the Pine Room Studios feature with Mike Florio of NBC's Pro Football Talk. Uh, Mike just had a really cool book signing and uh, I guess a book event, is that what you call it? Yeah. Uh, down at the Wheeling, Ohio County Public Library, which was uh, really well attended from what I hear, about 200 people. And he's been nice enough to sit down with us here in the Pine Room Studios. Mike, welcome to the show. We appreciate you taking the time during this really busy part of your season. Uh, how's it been so far today? It's been a great day. As I said at the event, I had two major concerns. The first one was no one was going to be there. <laughs> and I really was surprised, pleasantly, obviously, that that many people were there. And my other concern was that it was a sting operation because I took out a book in 1978 and never took it back. And this was the day they were finally going to get me and that's what they were going to do. So those were my concerns and both were rectified in a positive way. But so you, uh, it was fun. You obviously talked a lot about your book. Um, for our listeners that aren't aware of it, tell just a little synopsis about the book and uh, where they can find it and things like that. Father of Mine is the title. Correct. Mob novel set here in Wheeling, 1973. My dad was a bookie. In the Hankish crew, it was funny. Had a running gag the day that I acted like I didn't know who that was <laughs> uh, whenever his name came up. But uh, 70s and 80s, the book again is set in 1973. And it's completely made up, but some of the things that happen in the book, that the crew in the book do, they're based on things that actually did happen. But again, it's all fictionalized. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being, I think, a good background for a story. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what any book is about oh i'm going to see a movie about this i'm going to read a book about this it's still going to have a story that carries the reader through it can't just meander through a whole lot of nothing it's got to be and this is one thing i've learned through reading and i've incorporated into writing on every page that you write you need to give them a reason to turn to the next page and on that page there's got to be a reason to go <laughs> 
to the next page. And at the end of each chapter, you got to give them a reason to go to the next chapter. And that's the whole challenge of entertaining an audience. You get them captivated, hopefully, by the story, and they just go through it one chapter. And short chapters help. In today's day and age, I like to write short chapters, and I like to read short chapters. I hate those long-ass chapters where I yes. feel like, is this thing ever going to end? Chris said the well, very same thing. He read the book from I, I got, uh, the whole book. version, and I think like, this is really great, because mentally, I'm like, well, all these chapters, two, three, four pages, and it was still a 428-page book, but... My God, I got through it, and maybe it was just because I didn't have like a you know a forty page chapter. It was great. I I, I like that format. I want to know how long you had this in the works because obviously coming from Wheeling and 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 the amount of stories that I'm sure you can tell. How long was this kind of in the prep that you wanted to write this book and, and really get this out? Well, what happened was as I've covered the NFL for twenty plus years now, and I was doing the math on the way up here. How many words I've written about football? It's in the millions because I've worked on it every single day since January 1 of 2004. That's when I made the only New Year's resolution I ever kept in my life, which is work on that site every single day. And I've stuck to it for almost 20 years now. The only problem with it is everything I write today, by tomorrow, nobody cares. All that matters is what I write tomorrow. And by the day after tomorrow, nobody cares about what I write tomorrow. They care about what I write that day. So I wanted to craft something that would be relevant beyond today. And it started with Playmakers, which is my book about the past 20 years in the NFL. It's a series of essays, all very short, 110 essays. And you can fly through it. And it, it's a puzzle of how the NFL has really operated and some areas where it, it hasn't operated well. That was easy. Because it comes straight from what my day-to-day experience is, and it's something that has relevance beyond a day. It's still available, people are still buying it, and the concepts in there still apply. Before too long, it'll be irrelevant. With fiction, if it's well-written, if it's well-received, it endures literally forever, if somebody gives a crap you know, years from now to read it. But from my perspective, and the, the theory, you ever hear the infinite monkey theorem? The infinite infinite monkey theorem stands for the proposition that if you have enough monkeys sitting at a typewriter, eventually one of them will craft Shakespeare. Right. (laughs) So my own personal infinite monkey theorem is if I write enough books, one of them accidentally will not suck. That's what I'm trying to do. So I'm up to eight now, nine if you count playmakers, and I'm just going to keep going. And I enjoy the process. There's something about the process. I get swept away in the process and that's what i enjoy as much as anything it's rewarding to me when somebody says hey i read the book i like the book that's great i don't care about the money from it you never make much money writing but it's the idea that the 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 writing process i enjoy it and it is rewarding when somebody reads it and they take something from it and you can tell you can tell they enjoy it one of my one of my colleagues at nbc he'd had a few drinks i ran into him at an nbc event and he said, hey, hey, man, I, I, I read your book. I loved it. And I could just tell he was full of it. I said, <laughs> I said, I said what was it about? He said, oh, don't do that to me. <laughs> it's, uh, Mike, is, 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 do you go into your own little world when you – do things start to come in? How, how, does, how does the process work of, like, do you have a place you go in your house? Does, does it, uh, like, does, do, do, you, you, you settle into a uh, – a thinking mode that and now and then then one thing leads to another is that how it happens with you yeah it started three years ago when i had the idea 
for Father of Mine. It was based on a weird, bizarre dream I had on the night I turned 55. And I thought the next day, there may be something here. There may be a thread here that I can pull into a story. And the next night, I just started writing it. And two months later, I had a manuscript. And then I did the bulk of the writing sitting outside on my patio. Since then, my barn, and it really is a barn that when we bought the house, it had dirt floor and horse stalls. And it would have fallen down by now if we hadn't renovated it. My That's nephew, where you and the pain's hanging yeah, out, right? Yeah, my nephew came to me with the idea of, hey, you know, and it started off small, like, hey, I'm going to take out the horse stalls and I'll put down a, a gravel floor. And we had an extra pool table that didn't really fit in this house. It was from our old house. and It was just kind of sitting there in my garage. He said, I'll put that pool table up. We can put a space heater in. We can smoke cigars when it's wintertime and shoot some pool. One thing led to another. And... There were some trees that needed to come down. We have eight acres in Bridgeport. They took the trees. The guy who took the trees down had a mill, a portable mill. They carved that wood into planks and ultimately turned it into my favorite place on the planet. (laughs) And I'll go down there any night I can. One of the things that I regret about football season starting is Saturday and Sunday afternoons, I'll go down there for three or four hours, and I have a spot where I sit, and I open my laptop, and I'll light a cigar, and I'll have a drink, and I just start writing, and I'll write two, 3,000 words in a couple of hours, and just get swept away into that other world, and it's just, it's great. And I don't know if I had the ability to do it all the time. Would I do it all the time? Probably not. There's something special about having that two or three hours, three, four days a week, where, whether it's I go down there at night, or I go on the weekend. That's where I go. That's my place. And that's what I look forward to. Not that, again, my job is not a real job, but it's nice (laughs) to have something else that is different from what I do all the time that breaks the monotony and creates something that is a written product that potentially has relevance beyond today. When you're writing and and, at night, do you wake up when you got to go take a piss or something and things hit you and you're wide awake and and your mind's going a million (laughs) miles an hour? Fortunately, even though I am now 58, I have yet to be inflicted with the necessity to have to piss in the you middle wait. of the night. You're not drinking enough water. I'd like you to. Wait. That's the th- my, my son. My son says you should drink more water, and I say I'd rather not piss all the time. <laughs> you wait, buddy. And and he says to me, "But you'll live longer." And I said, "Yes." And all that extra period of my life will have been pissing. <laughs> so I'll trade the pissing. For the life. So, so less, less cab, more water. Yeah. So uh, what, what I do is when I have a really good night at the barn and if I write 3,000, 3,500 words and I'm really happy with what I've done and I look back at it. And one of the great feelings about it is I look back at it and it's like, I I didn't write that. Like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> like, I didn't, like, I would have never thought to write that. When I have that kind of a night, my brain is so activated i can't fall asleep so it's not an issue of waking up and thinking oh i got an idea because once i shut it down i shut it down but once it's going it's it's hard for me to shut it down if it's really going well it's hard for me to shut it down they they talk about how um wheeling was called little chicago at that time in your book and and what is the significance of people don't understand of actually what was going on here in the 60s 70s and 80s well it's 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 hard to explain it because you had to live it. Like, to me, everything that was going on was normal. And I didn't understand it. Like, when I became aware of what my dad did, I was old enough to understand that this is not legal. And I'd go to his bar, and it's like, why isn't it hidden? 
Why isn't there a, a bat cave? Like, it's right there. And I remember thinking, all the, all the cop has to do is walk in. And one day I'm in there and a cop came down and my dad went out and talked to him. I'm thinking, oh, here it is. And I'm here too. They're going to arrest me too. And I'm like 10. And the cop walked away. And I'm like, you know, they just they just didn't care. I think what happened was the crackdown of December of 1987, that happened because they deviated too far into the drugs. Not my dad, the broader operation. That and the combination of the RICO law. I was surprised Bill Colabash was there today, yeah, but he's the one that brought he's mm-hmm. the one that brought it all down. Yeah, he was. Um, I, I checked him. I checked him for federal marshals and handcuffs. Yes. I was like, dude, I didn't do anything. Yes. I didn't do anything. But uh, yeah, the RICO law really gave the feds the power to come in and shut it down here and Uniontown and Youngstown and every town that wasn't New York, Chicago, and even in the big cities. It gave them the weapon they needed to take down the mob, and now it's all been eradicated. Right. I mean, hell, I never would have written this if I wasn't pretty damn confident that it's all gone now and all the ones who did it are long since dead. Yeah, and as an older guy, like I'm I'm actually older than you and older than all these guys, I, I lived it too because I was – I gambled when I was young, and I went into the Club 17 in Warwood. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Butch Manello, because he talked about your dad. Actually, your dad had been at the Club 17 before in Warwood. See, I didn't even know that. Yeah, and, and I used to run spot sheets for Butch Manello uh, in, in school, at college, you know, <laughs> run spot sheets. And we would go in there and play spot sheets. And I was like you. It was just all normal. It wasn't anything hidden. They weren't hiding anything. It was just out in the open. And it was. I thought it was a wonderful time. In, in in you know wheeling i thought it was awesome things were booming and 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 i want to ask you a question and people have told me this the mob and you may not know the answer to it, but probably have heard the mob actually was very good for wheeling they they took care of the little league baseball teams they took care of people they just kept things clean in wheeling is there a truth to that they took care of people and they took care of people. That's the problem. <laughs> if you take well, yeah, if yeah, you take yeah, away yeah, the yeah. murders, yeah, they were yeah. great, right? <laughs> Other than the fact that they killed people who got in their way, it was one hell of an organization, let me tell you. It's like the Cub Scouts with, you know, Cub Tommy Scouts guns. Jason. Yeah. So and and again, I didn't know that extent of it. Some of the names, some of the guys I knew when I started thinking about writing this book, and I started poking around what the Hankish crew had done, the different stories out there, some of the stuff that made its way into Father of Mine, even though it's fictional characters, it's similar events. I would have never gone around those guys. That's what I, I never would have gone to the bar. I never would. I was like, holy shit. He kills people? That guy? That guy that always says hi to me? He kills people? That's, yeah, that's yeah. staggering. We've never witnessed anything like and that. And I didn't know it at the so time. There was a vague yeah. sense that, right. that there was, it was kind of an unspoken, there's something yeah. more there, but I don't know what it right. is. All I know is my dad takes bets. But then as I got older, it's like, oh, jeez, holy that. shit. Like, man, <laughs> I would have never left the house. Mike, what was the territory like? Like, what area did that crew control? Or if you remember, I didn't know. I never knew. I just know how wide it was. I just assumed it was all of the northern panhandle. I just assumed there were bookies all over the place, and the bookies kicked a percentage up to Paul. And I just assumed it was just this general area, you know, because Pittsburgh's got its thing. Right. Once you get too far into into Ohio, they'll have their thing. Youngstown had their thing. So I just assume it was. You know, kind of like as as far as the TV signal carries, that's probably the area that, that they had. Okay. No, and in the book, Ohio was a place where guys went to die. 
Yeah, and I didn't, and and that's right. They take him to Ohio. Caddis. They took him to Sally Buffalo Park in yeah. Caddis. That's completely, right. that's completely made up. I, I, what I did was, I just had this idea that their habit is going to be they're going to take guys to Ohio and kill them and bury them, or if they're already dead, they're going to take them there and bury them. And I just pulled out a map. And I was like, well, where's a good place where you could go bury bodies? And I found this Sally Buffalo parking cat that I had never heard of. And it's like, you know what? This works. And this will be the place where this crew takes their their bodies and buries them. Yeah. And that's what I also, it took me back to my childhood as well. Because you had references in there about Stone and Thomas, the tea room, Burger Chef, even yeah. the Columbia Record House. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, was that real easy for you just to, to go back? I mean, that's 50 years ago. Oh, yeah. But I remember all that yeah. stuff. And I remember my mom taking me to the Stone and Thomas tea room and how it did feel like something special, like something different you wouldn't expect to see in Wheeling. And, you know, the ladies were in there dressed up shopping. I mean, it was just a different vibe than what you would see nowadays. And Stone and Thomas was a special place to yeah. go. We just we would just want white what is it now it's like uh, it's an urgent a, care center or something like that yeah. um but i lost my train of thought uh burger chef i used to go to all the time mm-hmm. what what else what else did you well, say i just was stone and thomas and then uh, there was one other Columbia, thing that all, all the records yeah the the guy in the book that tells the story mm-hmm. about having the special pair of pants that he could stick the records into and then they'd fence them. <laughs> that's one of the things I found. One of the guys that was one of Paul's heavies mm-hmm. had this pair of pants and he would go into the record stores and he would steal the records and stick them down in the pants and walk right out the door. <laughs> oh my. I thought I, I And those thought, big twelve inch yeah. you know, those big twelve inch <laughs> vinyl shrink wrap records, I mean that's some big ass pants. Yeah. And he would stick them in his pants and walk out. I thought an interesting uh part of your talk today was h- how you um sort of became interested in the NFL and realized how big it was when you were talking about your mother. Because I remember that story, Terry Payne and Jimmy Payne and those guys told me about going to your house and you had to immediately take your shoes off and the couch was covered with plastic. And I thought the story you told about the Immaculate Reception uh, that day was intriguing about sort of sparked your interest in the NFL must be something special. Tell, tell, talk a little bit about that. I thought that was really fascinating. I'll never forget it. December 23, 1972, the NFL in, the, in that period of time blacked out all games within a 75-mile radius, even if they were sold out. They later, under pressure from President Nixon, changed that rule, and it shifted to only if the game wasn't sold out 72 or 48 hours before kickoff was it blacked out locally. All games were blacked out locally. Somehow, some way, we were the only house in the neighborhood – that had that game that day. I don't know what it was. I don't know whether we had some special antenna. I don't know whether it was our cable system, but there was a a station, I think, out of Youngstown that had that game. And all the grown-ups in the neighborhood, at least the ones who cared about the Steelers, they're in the house, and I was amazed. I mean, like, they got their shoes on. (laughs) You can't have your shoes on. And the plastic's off the couch. Like... (laughs) The Pope's not among this group. <laughs> right. Who were the three people? The, it was the Pope, the president, or Tom Jones. Tom Jones made the exception for. And, and I just couldn't believe it. Just the fact that my mom allowed it, and then the reaction when Franco scored, the way that room full of grown-ups started yelling and hollering and screaming like little kids, that's when I thought, if this is enough to make them act like we act when we're excited about something... There must be something about this worth paying attention <laughs> yeah. to, and that was the that was the the moment where I decided I was going to pay close attention to the NFL. Yeah, that's interesting. Very interesting. 
Yeah. And, and I, back to the, the, the book, and I, I, you know, it was basically a relationship between a father and a son. And I thought the most uh, touching part of that book was toward the end when uh don't spoil it he hasn't finished it yet <laughs> go, well, go no, ahead, no, no just, just talking kidding. about the, uh, <laughs> the the note that he left behind for his yeah. for his dad and i that, that i thought that was was awesome I, and it just made me think that any any of us that that you know uh that would have an influential father could could write that type of note for them and I, that was really that was powerful i thought the journey of the character johnny is guy from who goes from being completely disconnected and detached mm-hmm. from his adult son because he had walked out of the house when the son was 10 and the mother had remarried and the son had taken the name of the new husband. That was the thing that stuck in Johnny's craw and he couldn't get past it. And his attitude was basically, I don't care what you do. And over the course of the book, he develops an interest mm-hmm against his own nature and he grows in that way you have to have your main characters grow in some way and his growth is i'm going to set aside that acrimony and that resentment and i'm going to give a crap about my son mm-hmm. and then that culminates in don't spoil it no spoil i set it up so early on i mean this isn't a, you, you see it in chapter two or three mm-hmm. there are two main characters a father and son one of them gets killed and you find out at the end which one got killed. And some people who read it, and who knows, maybe this is what happens, will say to me, <laughs> you're just setting us up, and it's somebody else who gets killed. It's not one of those two guys. So when that was mentioned to me by someone who was reading it, I was like, well, keep reading. You'll find out. <laughs> Chris, you, Chris, you said you liked the ending. You liked the way it ended. I approve of it. Good. <laughs> hey, and how do, you, how do you pronounce Johnny's last name? Well, that... I. I've always been intrigued by when I read a book, if there's a name in there, when you see it, you don't quite know how to pronounce That's it. Exactly there's right. something exotic about it, and there's something appealing about it. One of my favorite books is No Country for Old Men. I don't know if you've seen the movie. Oh, yeah. Excellent movie. Anton Chigurh <laughs> is the villain. Very memorable, excellent, Oscar-winning role. And when you see the book, it's like, what the hell is this name? And that's what I tried to do. So... It can be Masagni, it can be Misogni, it can be whatever you want. And as a lifelong Italian whose last name has been bastardized and misspelled 50 different ways, even though it's not all that difficult, right. I kind of like the idea of having some Italian last names in there that people aren't going to know how to pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I figured it was probably uh, Masagni, but, you know... You it's a town in Italy, you know. too. All the last names in there, all the Italian last names are towns in Italy. I just, I, I just pulled up on, you know... Google or wherever I got a mm-hmm. list of all the towns in Italy and I just until and they'll speak to you. It's or like which one I like looks that one. Yeah. Yeah. I like the sound of that. You one. should have thrown in a random city from Ohio for a, for, <laughs> yeah, a, true. for a last name in there for an Italian one. Well, we got that in there with the place where the bodies were born. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, cool. Chris, any other questions about the book? No, I I, uh, well, I was curious when you you mentioned in the acknowledgments about. Uh, your agent had it, uh, some influence on that, like to, from start to finish. What did it, you mentioned? Like he he had some suggestions that you first resisted, but then you accepted them, and it, you thought it was a, a better book. That did was he speaking from, like uh, uh, was that in his background or anything? Or did, well, I uh, think that, every good agent has to be an editor, at least from mm-hmm. the standpoint of giving the client some advice on what they need to do. And one of the most important things you can do as a writer. And I really think in any creative field, art, anything, 
you've got to be able to literally and genuinely and completely set your ego aside. Mm -hmm. And you can't allow pride to get in the way of making whatever it is you're working on better. And what I did when I finished the first draft, I told myself, this is good enough. I'm moving on to the next one. I'm moving on to the next one. And I used to not like going back and revisiting what I'd already written. But then I learned through his urging and through his pushing and through his persistence, I have to keep asking myself, is there a way I can make this better? Is this truly the best work I can do? Because you got one shot with it. Once it's done and once it's finished, you can't go back. It's done, it's over, and it's out there for the world. And that's what got me to change the narrative style from straight third person all the way through, like most books are written, into first person for Johnny, first person for JJ, Mm -hmm. first person for Leslie, Leslie. first person for Jimmy Dacey, who Mm -hmm. is not a big character Mm -hmm. in Father of Mine, but he is a major character in the sequel. And it just kind of, that made it, I think, as you're reading it, it's kind of a puzzle that the reader has to solve. Now, the name of the character is at the start of each chapter. When I first yeah. did it, I was like, you know what? You'll figure it out. <laughs> and that made it, it easier out. for me to follow right. when I saw it. But I, at first, I thought, I'm just not even going to put the names there. Because you'll figure it out by the the circumstances, the way it's written, the voice of the character, you know who it is. But I, I hired an editor to help me get it into final form, and she said, you should have the names there. And I put the names there, and it, it made it, it made it better. It made it easier. You don't want to frustrate the reader. <laughs> yeah. You don't want the reader to be pissed off yeah. as you're trying to get them to keep reading your book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Mike, you, you alluded to a, a sequel coming down the road. Uh, what's the time frame for it? How far along are you so far? Well, the sequel has been written, but what I did was, and I'm going to be rude here and put my phone No, nah, please do. Make <laughs> yourself at home. I got old man needs. You should yeah. see some of the other stuff that's been uh, on that table. So, maybe I should take my feet off. <laughs> so, after I wrote Father of Mine, I almost immediately started writing the sequel that is named Son of Mine. It picks up the moment Father of Mine leaves off. Okay. And it's more ambitious. It's got three separate storylines that all happen independently, but they fit together. And at the end, all three planes land at the same time, wow. even though two of them play out in 1973. The other one plays out in 1975, two years after the events in mm, Father of Mine. And it all kind of comes to a conclusion. The problem is this. A couple of months ago, I hadn't looked at it since I finished it. Because I finished it and I moved, went on to the next one. The, and the next one was 30 America Avenue, which I talked about today. Yes. Which is based yes. on the Moundsville Prison Break from 1979. Oh, cool, it is man. the that's movie. Be, that's going to be. It's Stand By Me on steroids and meth. I didn't want to mention meth. <laughs> <laughs> blue hairs. I don't think they know what meth is. Yeah. Well, you said crack. Or was that I said crack. Yeah, yeah, I did say crack. crack. I split the difference between steroids and meth. But you didn't want to say meth? meth? I figure crack, they can, they've heard crack back yeah, in the right. 80s, you know, from Nancy Reagan Meth's or something. new age, yeah. So, anyway, that's very disrespectful. All those little old ladies came out there, and I'm saying that kind of shit. What kind of asshole are you hey, to hey, do that? Hey, I'm hey, just kidding. I tell you what, I felt, if any of them listen to this, I'm just kidding. I appreciate that they all came. So now that we're on a podcast, tell us tell us uh, about the, the smell in the prison. What? Because oh, yeah. I know you probably have a much more... Uh, 
many more ex- expletives yeah. to explain what the smell because we be actually went. We actually did a podcast from the penitentiary and had when it went through a tour of it. But I, that, sn- that smell obviously was gone. What would describe the smell? Well, Leslie Fitzpatrick, in Father of Mine, visits her dad who's in yeah. prison for felony murder because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time when somebody got killed during one of their stick-up jobs. And she doesn't get into detail. She just says that smell, and mm-hmm. she can't wait to get away from that smell. And it's a smell that she experienced nowhere else, and she holds her breath, and it's horrible, and it's awful. Now... In 30 America Avenue. That book is two competing storylines, which consist of, and I'm going to have to tell you a little bit about the book so this makes sense. And I don't want to go on and on and on, but as I say that, I'm going fucking on and on and on. So what happens in 30 America Avenue, 14 guys break out of the Moundsville pen, which actually happened in 1979. After that is what didn't happen. After that, a group of four of them end up in the neighborhood where I grew up and they infiltrate and hunker down in the house at 30 America Avenue. And there is no house at 30 America Avenue. There never was. So it was the perfect location for the book. And it's four kids and I'm kind of one of the characters, although the other three guys are just kind of like hybrids and composites of my friends that I knew at that age. So the four boys get caught up with the four criminals who end up in this house and one of their friends gets captured, one of the four gets captured, and the other three end up hmm. trying to save him. And I say all that because the story comes from the perspective of one of the four kids. That's one chapter. The other chapter is one of the guys who was involved in the prison break who is telling his story years later, and it's a transcript of his interviews. So it's written as if he's talking to whoever it is that's coming to interview him. And I say all that, and I finally am going to make my point. (laughs) He describes the smell in the prison as a combination of piss, shit, blood. That's what I figured. Other bodily fluids. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just this horrible, nasty funk. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you. The security at that prison was horrible. They had escapes all the time. They didn't right. wear uniforms. They did not wear uniforms. They And they had cells that did not lock. And they would go out and leave their cell and do all sorts of nasty shit and kill each other. Yeah. So what I tried to create for that book, and I mentioned Anton Chigurh earlier, yeah. I love a memorable villain. And the villain in 30 America Avenue, his name is Apophis Mammon. And he is the most evil, twisted, warped, manipulated character I could come up with, who is part vampire, part cannibal. Oh, my. And, uh, and it's probably over the top, but I think it works. Apophis, awesome. you said? Apophis Mammon. Apophis <laughs> is is the Greek god of chaos. Right, okay. Wow. <laughs> so, chaos. and there is chaos everywhere he goes. Yes. Mike, I wanted to ask you one last question about Father of Mine, then, then I know we wanted to pick your brain about some of this football stuff. Here's a scenario for you, and I want to see what route you would take. Netflix comes to you and says, Father of Mine and Son of Mine, we want to make a series about it. Uh, two or three seasons. Warner Bros. comes to you and says, we want to make movies. Would you go TV route, or would you go movie route? Well, that's a great question. Yeah. That is a great question. If you do a series, it can be much more true to the book because that's the problem with a movie based on a book 
they can't do it all and they can't do it right remember they finally did lord of the rings and they did justice to it and what was it three three hour movies for crying out loud (laughs) to do justice to the books and even then it wasn't complete so i would be more inclined since i have other stuff that could be developed into a film i would be inclined between father of mine and son of mine you could get three four seasons out of it and really do it the right way and I talked to some folks at NBC about it several months ago. It's a slow process. It's a subjective process. They've got the writer's strike now. But my hope is, and this goes back to the infinite monkey theorem, one of these books I write (laughs) is going to do well, I hope. And then that's going to lift them all. And people who are in a position to make those decisions about what money they're going to spend on what projects are going to say, hey, you know, this stuff, maybe we can do something with this. Maybe we should be doing something with this. Yeah, that's badass. Good question, Soup. Yeah. Yeah, and also, Mike, I wanted to go back just real quick uh, on that on that Playmakers book. What what is that one about? You say it's twenty years of just NFL. What what it is? I I I broke what's happened in the NFL over the last twenty years into ten different categories, and within each of those categories, I have ten to fifteen essays that just look at specific stories that I covered over the last twenty years. Big stories in the NFL. Mike Vick and his dog fighting. Um, what else? There's so much in there. Without in front of me, I can't even remember it now. But just all the different controversies, okay, all the crazy right. things mm-hmm. that have happened in the NFL. There was, I think we did a chapter. I don't think it ended up on the cutting room floor. There was a chapter based on a running back named Ontario Smith, yeah. who to beat drug tests had a fake penis. <laughs> I remember that. He, that, that he put clean urine through so he could what pass was that thing the drug test. It was a Wizenator. Wizenator. Yeah. Wizenator. <laughs> Wizenator. And because of that, the guys who sold it went to prison. Because that wow. that device in and of itself is used to circumvent federally mandated drug tests, wow. and they got prosecuted and went to prison. Didn't he get all stopped in the airport, Mike? He was in the airport, yeah. wow. and they're looking through his bag, and I mean, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> they open your bag, sir. Sir, yeah, you found it. Incredible. <laughs> Ontario Smith. I haven't heard that name in a long time. Fourth round time. pick from Oregon. Yeah. Well, story, steal of the draft. Great year for the Vikings in like 2003. But then, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the and it's so funny because they don't even care about it now. And they've changed the NFL's policy to the point where right. as long as you're clean for that one test a year when training camp starts, you can smoke all year long. They don't <laughs> care anymore. But back then, Ricky Williams, Ontario Smith, right. all those guys, they'd get run out of the league and they wouldn't let them back in. Let me ask you this if you think this is controversial. I got the Steelers at 14 and 3 and going deep into the playoffs. How do you feel about that? That's a bold take. 14 and 3 is bold. Now, they could go deep into the playoffs and not be 14 and 3. I'd maybe dial it back to 11 and 6. I'm okay with that too. Thank but you. <laughs> the thing about the Steelers, and this is just my loose experience living in and around Pittsburgh my whole life. I practiced law in Pittsburgh for a few years. I, you know, Wheeling is close enough to Pittsburgh. You don't even realize how close it is to right, Pittsburgh yeah. when you're growing up here. I mean, it's an hour drive. We never went there. It's just weird. Like, I remember the first time my friends and I drove up to a pirate game. It's like, why haven't we been doing this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just an hour. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, when the Steelers are expected to be really good, they fall short. Yeah. When they're yeah. expected not to be good or you really don't know what to make of them, they end up being better. And if Kenny Pickett has a high ceiling and he can move in the direction of that ceiling and they just throw the ball to George Pickett... <laughs> I go on 93.7 The Fan up there every Wednesday at 3.35 Eastern, and I've told them, and some Steelers fans get mad when I say this, but it's not meant to be a slight to the team. You know, Chase Claypool was showing potential attributes to be a great receiver. Mm -hmm. 
They just didn't throw him the ball enough. Correct. So George Pickens has it. If he's covered, he's not covered. Throw him the ball, he'll go get it. Yeah. Force teams to put two guys on him, and once they're consistently putting two guys on him, it's going to open up the rest of your offense, and away you go. And the key for Kenny Pickett, this came up today, about how great he can be. The truly great quarterbacks are the ones who, when the play that's called goes to hell, they can make chicken salad with their brains or with their legs or both. When the defense has an answer for what you plan to do, what can I do? Because some can't do it. Kirk Cousins can't do it. A lot of the quarterbacks can't do it or won't even try. Patrick Mahomes is the gold standard, the guy who can make chicken salad out of chicken yeah. shit. Josh Allen can do it. Joe Burrow can do it. If Kenny Pickett can do it, he's going to be a top five, top seven guy. That's that, what I'm talking that, about, that's Mike. Why I, <laughs> that's why I said the Steelers were so good because of Ben Roethlisberger. He yeah. can make. He can make. He could extend plays with his legs. He didn't plays. run a lot, but no. he extended plays with his legs. Yeah, exactly. And he was so hard to sack. So hard, yeah. to, sack. So hard to get down. All right, Mike. General question: the toughest. What's the toughest division in in the NFL and the weakest division in the NFL? The weakest division right now is the NFC South. All four teams last year were below five hundred. The Buccaneers were seven and ten, and the other three teams were six and nine. Yes, six and eleven. Agree with that totally. And one of them is going to win the. Division. I may be wrong. It may be Five. eight and nine and seven and ten. I think that's what it was. Bucks were eight and nine. Everybody right? else was seven and ten. Somebody's going to win the division. Somebody's going to host a playoff game, and maybe they get lucky, and maybe <laughs> they get hot, and who knows? The toughest division is the AFC East, and the problem this year for the AFC East: those four teams, in addition to playing each other twice, which is six games right there. Great teams. You got to face six times out of seventeen. Because of the way the NFL does its schedule rotation, they've got two different circles that spin. And you just kind of click, click, click every year. Right. Okay, this year it falls on the teams of the AFC East play every team of the AFC West. And while that clicks through the other three divisions every year, it goes west. Mm-hmm. If you're in the East, it goes west, central, or no, west, north, south, west, north, south. In the other conference, East, West, North, South, it clicks there. So the way it's fallen this year, where you play all the teams from two different divisions, AFC West, NFC East, which means oh boy. Yeah, every team in that matter. division has to play the Chiefs, has to play the Eagles, oh has boy. to play the Cowboys, oh, wow. has to play the Giants, has to play the Chargers. Five right there. On top of the six, that's 11 games. So I say all this because... The only team that may get to the playoffs out of the AFC East is the team that wins, wins the division. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, they're not going to be able to get that wild card. Because when it's time point. to compare your record to second place, third place team from other divisions that aren't playing the Chiefs, Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, Chargers this year, it's going to be a little easier Absolutely. To, to beat out the second place team from the AFC East. Oh, man. So the second place team from the AFC East could be good enough to go to the Super Bowl and may Just not get, get into in. the playoffs. What's, what's the most overrated team and the most underrated team, do you think? Well, the most underrated team is the Jaguars. Okay. They got to the final eight last year, and nobody seems to acknowledge that they are on the brisk, a brink, on the brink, excuse me, I was going to say precipice and brink, and it came out brisk. <laughs> <laughs> they're on the brink of potentially being very good, and they're in a division that, relatively right. speaking, is not as strong as the others in the AFC mm-hmm. South. They're in the AFC South, and that one is weaker. 
So I think they're ridiculously underrated for what they can do. And the team that's most overrated, and I know you're baiting me, and I know you're going to be <laughs> mad at me, but I still don't know why everybody's on the Lions. It's a valid point. And is it just because, my producer asked me this today when we were doing our show PFT Live. We were talking about the NFC North and how the teams are going to finish. And I've got Bears fourth, Vikings third, Lions second, Packers first. I think people are just enamored with the Lions because it came down to week 18, Mm -hmm. last game of the year, Sunday night football. Hey, Lions, entertain us. Knock Aaron Rodgers out of the playoffs. Let's see if you can do it. And they did it. So everybody's like, oh, we like the Lions now. Watch out for the Lions. Well, the Jaguars did more than the Lions. The Jaguars got to the playoffs. They won their division week 18. They came back from 27 nothing yes. down yes. to beat yeah. the Chargers. And they gave the Chiefs kind of everything they could handle. They yes. Now it helped that Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes got, got injured. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I think the Jaguars have the potential to be a very, very good team. And I think they should be the team that people are like, hey, the Jaguars, watch the Jaguars. And now the Lions are getting, next Thursday night, first game of the season. A few Thursdays after that, they go to Green Bay on a short week. They play both of their games on a Thursday this year against the Packers. And, you know, if you're the Packers, if you're the coach of the Packers, you just kind of sit back and say, this is great because nobody thinks my guys are going to be good. So I don't have to worry about my players getting a big head. And I can use the fact that nobody thinks they're going to be any good to kind of, right, you know, yeah. get a chip on their Cross shoulder. A little bit, yeah. The Lions don't have that. Right. They can't say yeah. us against the world. They can't Not say anymore. the Lions against the world. Everybody's on the Lions. So I, I just think we've seen this before. It's kind of what Sean Payton was saying about the Jets. Remember when Sean <laughs> yes. Payton had those comments yes. a few weeks back? You got to prove it. You got to do it. And what have the Lions done? At any point since George H.W. Bush, <laughs> okay, to merit this presumption that they're going to get to the playoffs and start winning playoff. Games. I know you like the Packers to win that division. Do you trust Jordan Love, or do That's you, what I was do you just ask trust you. the Packers as an organization to get it done? Because Jordan Love could go out there and, and throw for twenty five hundred, or like he could have struggled this year. Well, he right? could, he could, and we don't know what we're going to see in Jordan Love. But what we are going to see is a guy that the Packers thought enough of in the two thousand and twenty draft to trade up to get him. They didn't just sit there and let him fall to them. I am told that what the Packers wanted to do that draft, they wanted Justin Jefferson, he was gone. They wanted Brandon Ayuk, the receiver who's with the 49ers. 49ers traded up and got him. Plan C wasn't draft another receiver. Hmm. Plan C was, let's go get Jordan Love. Awesome. Let's get somebody we'll groom to be the successor to Aaron Rodgers. So Love sits three years. Rodgers sat three years. We don't know what Jordan Love is going to be. The thing about Jordan Love that I saw in the preseason that I liked, he's a guy with a strong arm. Trey Lance. Problem with Trey Lance, he doesn't have any pitch other than his fastball. Jordan Love, if you saw any of the preseason highlights or any of the games, against the Bengals. Guy's open in the end zone. He throws a nice little rainbow. Touch pass right in. Then there's a guy, tight window, zips it in. Having the presence of mind to know what pitch to throw. Right. While you're in the middle of that's all that very shit, important, yeah. that's important. So, I just think that the Packers were good before Aaron Rodgers. The Packers have consistently been a very good program for 30 years now. They're just not suddenly going to lose their yeah, way facts. without Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I think we need to give their history over the last 30 years more credit 
and we need to give the Lions history over the last 30 years more scrutiny before we start saying Lions win that division and Packers end up in fourth place. Sticking in the, in the NFC North, um, thoughts on Justin Fields. He's, he's getting a lot, yeah, of, uh, yeah. lot of love, but then Matt, there's Matt's a lot of haters down, too. Matt is down I, I just on don't. I, I think he's an incredible athlete, but I just don't see, like you just mentioned about Jordan Love having some touch on his passes. I, it's I don't like Justin see Fields it with should Justin be a Fields. Back. Yeah, he's he's at highlight reel, but he yes. makes a lot of mistakes. And can he throw the ball enough for the Bears to be good? You obviously have him last, so you don't. Well, I still think he's going to be good. <laughs> okay. Not that anybody gives a shit about my fantasy teams, nor should they. But Justin Fields is my QB one in both well, leagues. I think that's a good move there for fantasy. Now, can it win games? Right? He is Michael Vick. <laughs> Got it. He is that guy who once a game is going to take off with the ball. And outrun everybody. Sure. And he's the most dangerous running threat of all quarterbacks right now in the NFL. The question is, what can they do this year? What can Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator, do to enhance his passing game? And when I saw their preseason game where he threw a couple of short passes, right. one to DJ Moore, one to Khalil mm-hmm. Herbert, and it was just short pass and off he goes. Right. My first thought was... Week one, they're going to be throwing the ball down the field. And this is the effort to draw people up Bait the line of scrimmage because you think it's going to be a lot of short passes. Sure. He's going to come out week one, and he's going to start oh. firing rainbows. <laughs> and he's got DJ Moore. He's got Chase Claypool. He's got guys who have been there in the past. Darnell Mooney. They, I think, have the potential. I don't know how good their defense is going to be. Right. I don't know if it's going to be good enough to win games consistently. But – I think there's a chance Justin Fields does something like what Jalen Hurts did last year in okay. his wow. fun to watch. Oh man! And Justin Fields is a better runner than Jalen Hurts. Hey, I, well, I like more, him in fantasy. One that? more general question: I, I, give me a, give me a coach that gets the give me the coach that gets the most out of his players, and the coach that gets the least out of his players. <laughs> Mike Tomlin gets the most out of his players oh, without question. Okay, without question. Interesting and. I know other coaches who have ended up with Mike Tomlin players. Not Antonio Brown. Other players. Antonio Brown's too easy. Other players who go to other teams. And the coach is like, what in the hell did Mike Tomlin do to keep this guy (laughs) from being a complete and total (laughs) pain in the ass? I can't believe what Mike Tomlin was able to do. So I'll say... Tomlin. Now, the other okay. side... Standard is a standard, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, it's hard on the other side because we got some new coaches that we don't know what they're going to do. Give me some do. veteran guys that you... I mean, guys who don't get enough out of their players. Mike McCarthy. He, he well, comes to mind. <laughs> now, <laughs> he's good one. Like... the question is, how good are the Cowboys players, though? I right. think we assume they're better than they are. But that would be an example of a guy who... You know, be careful what you wish for. They fire Kellen Moore. Mike McCarthy's running the offense now. Yeah, I don't know how much pressure he's under, but he's under some pressure because it's him this year on offense. Brandon Staley's a guy that I really like, and I hate saying this, but you look at his talent. Yeah, you got to do more with that. Yeah, last talent. year's yeah, playoff do game more with Justin Agreed. Herbert. Mm. One of the problems with the Chargers, they get too many guys injured, and at some point, it's not just bad luck. At some point, it's nutrition, it's training, it's flexibility, it's all the things that allow a guy to get twisted up into a pretzel. I used to sit next to Rodney Harrison when we'd watch games at NBC. He's out on the road now, so he's no longer in the studio. And Rodney Harrison's superpower, among the fact that he was one of the biggest hitters of all time, an incredible athlete, he can watch all the games that are being played, 
and he can spot the potentially serious injury as it happens. And he would take his right arm and swing it into my chest, and he would say, watch that one. And you see a guy get all twisted up in knots, and he pops right up. And for some teams, they know how to get these guys ready to get twisted into compromising positions and not get injured. And when you have the Chargers every year, and this is a dated reference that, that you guys will get, I call the Chargers the Roseanne, Rosanna Danas of the NFL because it's always something. It's always something, and it ne- they never come to fruition, and they never, and it's always something. And usually, it's one injury after another. So, I think I think Brandon Staley is is really got to turn that team around this year because the vultures are already circling because of Justin Herbert. Yeah, and and, and one of my one of my big picture takes about the NFL when you've got a great quarterback, especially a young quarterback. You're better off having a coach with an offensive background because if it's sure. if it's a defensive coach, you bring in an offensive coordinator and he does really well with your quarterback. And guess what happens? Yeah, he gets a head coaching job somewhere else, and then you got to replace yeah. him. Look at the Bills. Yeah, Brian Dayball was doing great with Josh right. Allen. Then in comes Ken Dorsey, and they regress because yeah. you have a defensive head coach. And that's a team. There's an issue there. Something's going yeah. on there. Something doesn't feel that. right. Yes. If they don't make the playoffs this year, Buffalo. that oh, may Buffalo. be where ownership yeah. says, yeah. we got Josh Allen for how many more years? How long until the window closes for him? We need a coach who's an offensive coach. We need to get better players around him. Our window is closing. Right. The Dolphins and Jets are both better than the Bills on paper this year, position by position. If you do tail and tape check marks, the, the Dolphins and the Jets are better than the Bills, but but they still have Josh Allen. And I think if they don't make the playoffs this year, there could be some big changes. GM, head coach, maybe both. Yeah. And they they try to put something together while they still have a great quarterback. Is Diggs becoming an issue for them, a serious issue, do you think? You know, it's funny. The the, the NFL's official slogan is football is family. And I say the slogan (laughs) should be is... Football is business, but we say football is family because it's good for business to say football is family. That's the real. <laughs> that's that's right. the real slogan. But the other slogan is nothing to see here, because anytime anything happens, right. they say nothing, nothing to see here. And when the stuff happened with Stephon Diggs in June, the mandatory minicamp, he was there. Then he wasn't. What's going on? I'm concerned he's not here. I'm fine. He's not here. Now he's back. Nothing to see here. Mm-hmm. No matter what they do, and they had a preseason game this past weekend against the Bears, and Stephon Diggs caught a slant pass, and he wanted to break it, and he didn't. He came to the headline, and he slammed his helmet down. It's like, dude, it's a preseason game. Yeah. That fire that caused him to act up and gesticulate in the face of Josh Allen, and it just it, it boiled over. If they struggle this year, that's coming back. And mm-hmm. after this season, well, he had that issue he's going to want out. In Minnesota, yeah. right? Yeah. Hey, the day Kirk Cousins signed... Mm-hmm. His second contract with the Vikings is the day that Stephon Diggs tweeted his way out of Minnesota, and it was not a coincidence. Yeah. I want to ask you about my most underrated quarterback, at least I, I think. What do you think about the Giants and Daniel Jones? I think they take a huge jump this year. I think they win that division, but I, I'm a huge Ooh, fan. That's a, a hell of a jump. I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan that's of Jones. Two jumps. The Steelers think, at 14 yes. and 3. Now that, now that Daniel Jones has learned not to trip over the five-yard line, <laughs> that's progress. And – you know, he's got that mobility just enough where he can make chicken salad yes. on the fly. They've added help for him. They found a way to work things out with Saquon Barkley. Darren Waller, who's already a team captain. Of course, they have 10 captains. Like, at a certain point, right, it's participation trophies. Right, right. Like, captain needs to mean something. They have 10 captains. Darren Waller is one of them. He could be great for them this year. They've upgraded the receivers. Daniel Jones is another year working with Brian Dayball. 
I agree with you. They could be better than they were last year. The key is offensive and defensive lines. When the Giants have been great, they've had great offensive line, great defensive line. If they can get that under control, they could be very good. Yeah. Mike, one more question about quarterbacks. And uh, I heard this on Dan Patrick today. Uh, can Sean Payton fix Russell Wilson? The question was posed: <laughs> Can Can Russell Wilson play his way out of a Hall of Fame? He can. Well, that's and you know, Shereen Williams, who's one of my writers at PFT, is one of the Hall of Fame voters. Mm-hmm. And in the latter years of Eli Manning's career, she said he needs to be careful because he could hang around mm-hmm. long enough that it knocks him out of the Hall of Fame. And Russell Wilson, if he doesn't turn it around, Kurt Warner had this great year. Super Bowl, couple MVPs, went to two Super Bowls. Then it started to dip. He had a donut hole. Was it the mm-hmm. Giants? The guy who was 5-4 and four when they benched him for Eli Manning. Went to Arizona, got back to a Super Bowl, so he rectified that dip. Russell Wilson needs to rectify that dip. If he doesn't, he could not make it to the Hall of Fame because it's a full body of work. He'd be mm-hmm. better off retiring right. than continuing yeah. to yes. put bad years up there. I think Sean Payton can do it. He lost weight. He needed to lose weight. He was too puffy last year. He needs to get some mobility back into his game. And Sean Payton is the master of constantly looking for a play that will work for my team against the defense I'm about to face. And he told a story on PFT Live earlier this year, and I've got the card at my barn. I was talking to him on the phone a couple of years ago. He's getting ready to play the Vikings. And... I said to him, one of the things I love about your profession is you have an, you can spend as much time as you want looking for ideas and searching for plays and brainstorming. You can spend as much time as you want. And it's fascinating, but it's also kind of maddening because at what point do you stop? And he said to me, shit, you're making me nervous. I got to go. I got to get back to work. <laughs> Five minutes later, he called me back and he said, I found the play that will work on Sunday night. I'm going to write it up. I'm going to put it in the mail. And you watch the game Sunday night. No way. Wow. And, I'll, and you'll get this play, and I guarantee you at the right time I'm going to use it, it's going to work. And I watched the game, and I wasn't sure. You know, they won the game. They scored several touchdowns. I didn't know which play he was referring to, but he had a play that would work with his personnel against that Vikings defense, the way they run defense. So I'm asleep. It's a long day. You work 18-hour days during football season. The phone rings at 12.45, and oh, I picked geez. it up, and it said, Sean Payne. I said, motherfucker. <laughs> I said, I know what he's calling about, and it can wait till tomorrow. And I went back to sleep, and the next day he called, and it's like, hey, I did it, and it worked. So my point is, he's a master at constantly looking for anything. Every week, he knows who he's facing. He knows what his team is and what his team can do, and he will always look for more, and he will give his whole life over to it. You know, for a lot of things, and Tom Brady has articulated this I think on one of his documentaries Tom versus Time remember that from a few years yes, ago yes if you want to compete with me you have to give your life over to this because you are not going to work harder than me you aspire to work as hard as I right. do you can aspire to put in as much as I put in but to be great and this applies to anything you do if you truly want to be great at some point you have to surrender all that shit you'd otherwise do all those days you'd otherwise golf, all those movies you'd otherwise watch. you got to turn your life over to it and make it your obsession, especially during football season when it's coming at you one yeah. week at a time. That's why, one last point, and this is why I'm kind of down on Kirk Cousins. If you watch that quarterback series on Netflix. Yeah. It was awesome. And he's got this thing about how I don't work on Tuesdays during football season. 
What are you talking? You got eight months yeah. off. Yeah. That's crazy. And, and when your opponents hear that, what do you think they say? Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> He's not getting any better, right? Yeah. All right, Mike. Wow. So let's circle back to the AFC North. Pretty popular division for this area. The people that listen to our show. Uh, Soup asked this question about the Steelers. Chris, you want to shoot a question towards Mike about the well, Browns? Or well, Mike, I feel your pain as as a I'm a Browns fan and you're the Vikings, so neither of us have Super Bowls. And uh, well, I don't think the Browns have even been to a Super Bowl. <laughs> but is there any reason that you can give me and even Matt, we're Brown, as a Browns fan, hope because? I've drank the Kool-Aid for years, and every year I'm disappointed. Chris was excited when they had Johnny Manziel. That's yeah. how optimistic he was. <laughs> he was drinking something other than Kool-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> it all comes down to whether or not Deshaun Watson can rewind the clock to 2020, the way he used to play. He was out a full year, missed 11 games last year. He's been dragged down by this off-field issue that was his own making. Mm-hmm. They spent all that money. They gave up those draft picks. What are they going to get out of the Sean Watson? Who is he going to be? What is he going to be? And as he goes, they go. And if it doesn't work, Kevin Stefanski is going to be gone because Deshaun Watson ain't getting fired. Not with $46 million per year, <laughs> no. fully guaranteed, and three more years of it. What's interesting to me is if Watson sputters and Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the kid they got from UCLA who fell in the draft, who's their number two guy now, if he develops and Watson struggles, at what point do you have a coach who yeah, says – we're on the hook for $46 million a year. We'll pay it. But we got this guy at a bargain basement contract for three years before he's even in a position to get a second contract. We're just going to ride with him. That becomes very interesting. But it all hinges on what we see September 10, Bengals at Browns. What Deshaun Watson oh, are we going to see? I think the Browns and, win and that are game, are they, too. Are they, are they uh, throughout the NFL, are they kind of uh, – how are they viewed throughout, like, the owners and, and the NFL in general for that – Watson contract. Well, oh, they got pissed at him. Yeah. They got pissed I mean, at him. They... And, yeah. Collusion happens in mm-hmm. the NFL. Mm-hmm. They usually don't articulate it. After that Watson contract, you had guys like Steve Bashotti of the Ravens, who eventually had to give Lamar Jackson a big contract, mm-hmm. saying out loud, this complicates the way we do business. And that's mm-hmm. dangerous because under the collective bargaining agreement, it is a legitimate option for a team to use. So if teams are coming together and saying, we're not going to do that, you're engaging in collusion, and that's a no-no, and that can create all sorts of problems for the league. But they were very pissed at the Browns. They were very pissed at ownership. Generally speaking, though, there are 10 to 12 teams that are owned by dysfunctional owners. The other owners <laughs> like it. The other owners sure. prefer it. You know, I was in the presence of one of the owners, and there were other people around, people from NBC, and one of the NBC people said to this owner, what do you think about Stephen Ross? He lives in New York. His team's in Miami. He splits time. He's not in the building every day. What do you think of that? And he said, I love competing with him. <laughs> that's yeah. what these owners love. Yes. they don't, And that's one of the reasons I think they look the other way on Dan Snyder. They didn't want the standard they were going to apply to sure. Snyder to apply to them. But that's he was part no threat. of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, also, if you get a highly competent owner... Now you got to worry about Washington again. Right. Now it's going to be an impediment to your effort to try to win games and pursue championships, Makes and that's sense. what they yes. all want. The line that we uttered the other day, because I, I say at one level, they're all winning. They can act like they want to win the Super Bowl. Look at the books. Right. They're all they're winning. winning. <laughs> they're all winning. The question is who wins the Super Bowl. But for those guys, among those guys, they all still want to win. 
you want to stick it to the other guy. It's the line from Bruce Springsteen's <laughs> Badlands. Poor man want to be rich. Rich man want to be king. King ain't satisfied until he rules everything. <laughs> That's why they all want to beat each other, and it drives them crazy when they don't. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really yeah. great breakdown. So real quick, again, AFC North. Um, is it the Bengals' division to lose, obviously, or do you think that the Ravens or Steelers can contend? You mentioned the Browns, uh, what needs to happen there. Ravens are a wild card because they hired Todd Monken to be the offensive coordinator. And at some point along the way, somebody confused him with Bill Walsh. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. He was your offensive coordinator in Cleveland, right? Yeah, 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 and that was part yeah. of the problem. Yeah. Yes. So the guy goes to Georgia for a couple of years. It whitewashes his resume, and all of a sudden, he's the answer to right. the problem. Now, we'll see if it works. I like that Todd Monken is involving Lamar Jackson in the crafting of plays and the creation of the offense, empowering him. Why weren't they doing that before? Makes no sense when you have a great quarterback. You want him to be involved. You want the benefit of his thoughts. Will it work? Here's the key. If you ever played Madden, when you play Madden, you get that one play that you know works. When in doubt, that's (laughs) what I'm going to do. And for the Ravens, the Madden play is third and six. Just let Lamar Lamar run. run (laughs) Are they going to resist going with the Madden play, or are they going to stick to the offense and diversify and throw the ball? They really like Zay Flowers. They have OBJ. They got Mark Andrews. They got Isaiah Likely. They got some good running backs. They got an issue with J.K. Dobbins. They got to work out. But Third and six, is it going to be Lamar drops back, goes through his reads, and throws the ball to the open man? Or is it Lamar runs and and either does or doesn't get a first down? And more importantly, if you do it enough, Lamar runs and gets hit and gets hurt, and then he's gone for the last five weeks of the season. Plus it helps that you can get to the 50 and Justin Tucker can kick it from wheeling yes. to Bridgeport. <laughs> yes. That's always a, that's always a good thing. Yeah, that's a really good thing to have. All right, Mike, got to ask you a couple more things here. Big uh, stories that are you know talk around the NFL right now. Everybody's talking about the Jonathan Taylor situation, and then will Nick Bosa uh, get a contract extension with the 49ers anytime soon? Well, I'll start with Jonathan Taylor. I think this is a situation where the owner of the team never wanted to give Jonathan Taylor a second contract. Chris Ballard, the GM of the team, would do it if he was allowed to do it. And Chris Ballard had some comments on Wednesday of this week about the situation. And when he was pressed, because Chris Ballard, the GM, said, you pay great players. Somebody finally asked him, if you pay great players, why aren't you paying Jonathan Taylor? And his response was, we lost or we won four games last year. Well, what the hell does that have to do with whether or not Jonathan Taylor is a great player that you should pay? You should be even more inclined to pay him because he's the only reason to come right. to the games. Right. I think in saying that, the takeaway is the owner of the team will not allow him to do it. Think back to Marshall Falk, 1994 first-round pick of the Colts. Did they ever sign him to a second contract? No. They traded him to the Rams yep. when the time had come for a second contract. Edron James, the guy they drafted in round one, to replace Marshall Falk. He finished his rookie contract. He did one year under the franchise tag, and they let him walk away as a free agent. They never gave him a second contract. And I think what they were going to do with Jonathan Taylor, four years on his rookie contract, one year of the tag, two year of the tag, maybe, if he's still playing well enough, two year of the tag, and then see you later. That's what Jim Irsay wants to do. And now that Taylor has the ankle injury, and he says he's experiencing pain. And is it pain or is it air quotes pain? <laughs> They're not pushing him on it. Yeah. They put him on the physical unable to perform list. He can't play the first four games. And now the question is, will they trade him before October 31 or will they trade him in the offseason? But it feels like, bless you, it feels like this relationship 
is moving toward yes. a divorce. Mm-hmm. What was the other one? Uh, a Bosa. Oh, with the 49ers. I'm surprised he hasn't signed yet. Okay. Look, trade him. Well, you just don't want him to play want week to one. No, he's going to give yeah. the Steelers. Same yeah, hand, right. just hand, just walk from yeah. one bus to the other. Yeah. Uh, with these holdouts, and in any negotiation, what matters is having a mutual understanding of when the clock strikes 12. Because nobody moves to their bottom line until the clock strikes 12. If you move to your bottom line early, what happens? You lose, probably, huh? What, what happens is when the clock strikes 12, you get pulled off of your okay. bottom line, yeah. whatever it is. Well, now the clock is beginning the process of striking 12. It's like Cinderella, and it's going boom. <laughs> Turning into a pumpkin. Boom, yeah. right. Now that we've arrived at the point where the two sides have to put their best offer on the table, is it going to connect? I don't know that they teach Venn diagrams in school anymore. I know when we were kids, they had Venn diagrams. Yep. All those two circles have to do is touch. Will they touch, or will there be a gap? Then what do you do? And if the guy's dug in, he's not going to be there for week one. And even at this point, whether it's Nick Bosa or Chris Jones of the Chiefs, if they walk through the door right now, are they really going to be ready mm-hmm. for week one? And do you want to put them out there when they may not be ready? So it's really thrown a wrench into the 49ers and has definitely thrown a wrench into the Chiefs. Uh, and uh, we'll see if they get it done. Tough. If, if Bosa's not there week one, nausea, 20 touches, 140 yards, two touchdowns. <laughs> Steelers win that game by two touchdowns. Let's go. You can only dream, Sue. Oh, yeah. it'd be great. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've taken enough of Mike's time. I could sit here all, yeah, all night. I could see fascinating all stuff. But, uh, Mike, we appreciate you taking the time uh, out of your really busy day and busy time of year to spend it here with us here in the Pine Room studio. Um, yeah, Mike, you're a friend of the show now, so whenever we call you, you have to come on. It's, it's okay. how, it's we how won't it call you okay. like Sean does, Payton. Does it like, make me enemy night. of the show if never. I say no? no. <laughs> is it, are you that thick, uh, uh, finicky that if no, I... Uh, never. No, well, we're going to give you, you some can turn down. loggers, too, yes. as a I, gift. But thank you so much for joining yeah. us. Uh, best of luck with the book, Father of Mine. Uh, if our listeners haven't read it yet, get Go out get there, it. buy it. Definitely get it. $4.99 e-book, $14.99 print. Yes. Yeah. So how many? Yeah. Real quick. What before, can you get for four ninety nine? Nothing. Absolutely no. nothing. Not even the fast food. But uh, when is it already begun with your your busy schedule, or does it increase as it gets closer to the week one? Once camp opens, it all it's changes. Just, yeah. yeah. My slow time is from after the draft, really after the off season programs end in okay. June. That's the dead time between middle of June and late July. When the camps open, it starts to crank up. Preseason starts, it starts to crank up. We did the Hall of Fame game in Canton, so it gave me kind of a dry run as to what the season's going to be like. Once the season starts, though, it is every waking moment, every day. I try to shut it down on Friday night and spend time with my wife and just get away from it. But, you know, it's... and, and. I'm not complaining because sure. I used to have a real job. But yes, yes. I travel to Connecticut on Sunday, on Saturday. I do the full NBC thing on Sunday. I come home on Monday, and I'd like to maybe, you know, just <laughs> – and it's – your reward for getting home safely is get your get ass back, back to, to work, work yeah. and it's just over and over and over again. And then the next thing you know, the season's over. Yeah. So, Take, in a, <laughs> so in a dead time, can we head down to Bridgeport and spend some time, a uh, little time down there with you? No, bring your equipment down, mobile podcast studio. <laughs> we can set up in the barn, oh, and we can just do great. this down Count there. Yeah, Count us in. Smoke right. a cigar while we're doing it. Count and, us and in. pop open a bottle cab. Yes. Perfect. Yes, Whiskey perfect. in the barn. Whiskey, right. in, yeah. the Whiskey barn. in the barn. Well, Mike, thanks again for joining yeah, us. We really you, appreciate you taking the time. You're a really busy guy, and uh, we're really lucky we're to have honored. you. So thanks. Yeah, yeah it was Great an to honor. be here. It's been and, a great day. Uh, best of luck with the book, and uh, best of luck with everything this season. We'll be watching you on uh, NBC and uh, Pro Football Talk. Awesome Thank you, guys. Stuff. Appreciate thanks it. Thanks again. Yep.